0: I will tell you, at this point in my life, I definitely believe in chronic Lyme.
1: There's something going on. There's sure. something going yeah, on. I mean, we call it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: I have had patients that, you know, that have been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or uh, with chronic fatigue, uh, fibromyalgia, you know, and some joint pain, but just brain fog. They just don't feel right, you know. And, you know, doing a uh, history is really important. I said, well, when did this all start? And sometimes it is very interesting how there was, I was just fine up to this point. All right, well, what were you doing at this point? Doing a really comprehensive history, Did you uh, do you hike? Do you have a dog? Where were you living? Um, and. Um, you know was there a point where this really started and often when you do a really good history you find it was after this time and well yeah you know I was hiking at that time some of them say oh you know maybe I got a tick bite but I didn't notice anything so I didn't do anything you know
1: whether it is a loved one or yourself we have all been affected by Lyme disease in one way or another Lyme disease can be a devastating and mysterious disease that is also becoming more and more common and it is also underdiagnosed. Today's guest, Marna Regeer, is a nurse practitioner right here at Capital Integrative Health. She has a passion for disease prevention using traditional and complementary modalities. Marna also specializes in treating Lyme disease and is here today to discuss what Lyme disease is and what approaches we can take to treat it. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. Join us to learn more about Lyme disease and what you can do to support yourself or a loved one along the path of treating it and healing from it. Well, Marna, welcome to the podcast. So great for you to be here.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: And Marna is one of our OGs at Capital Integrative <laughs> Health. Been here since the beginning, so uh, we're so happy to finally have you on the podcast to talk about Lyme today. We know that Lyme disease is a, a really big topic, a really big concern for a lot of a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, out there. A lot of listeners, maybe they might have family members or themselves, even loved ones that that have Lyme. But let's first start about you and talk about you know how you, Marna, got into integrative and functional medicine.
0: Okay, yes, Um, I think, you know, my sister was involved in sort of natural health many, many years ago, and she had her own little herb shop, and so, um, so I just had a lot of interest in it and a lot of influence from her. And then as a nurse practitioner for a while and, um, or as a nurse, just working as a nurse for a while, and I, I thought, how can I really? maybe help people, you know, more with natural health and I thought uh, going back to nurse practitioner school maybe I could be a little bit more directive and so that's what I did and then um, my first job I worked with a doctor that really um, taught me a lot uh, the, in my very first practice and it, he did a lot of, had a lot of patients that had Lyme. so. I thought, hmm, integrative medicine, I didn't know that it had so much to do just with chronic disease and Lyme, but that's where I learned a lot um, about treating Lyme.
1: So you were already leaning towards more holistic medicine. You kind of stumbled into that practice, started learning about Lyme through your experiences with with the patients there.
0: Exactly, exactly. In
1: in Leesburg, how how did you find those patients did with that kind of treatment, with more in-depth treatment of, of Lyme?
0: you know, Lyme treatment is always a challenge, you know, and some people, you know, did definitely better, you know, but it's always uh, an ongoing treatment, you know, for a while, but yes, but um, in my treatment even here, as I have looked back at patients that I've treated with Lyme, I go, you know, they do get better, you know, and I mean, sometimes it it's not, uh, it's a it's a process, which we'll talk about today, um, but um you can get better as you treat the whole person you know
1: mhm yeah looking at all the systems yeah. how they connect yeah. mind body yeah. spirit yeah
0: i know my first my, my first uh, patient that i almost treated for Lyme, i thought great, I'm going to put her on doxycycline for two weeks and she's going to be healed. And the doctor that I was sort of working with just sort of remained very quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's the traditional. Yeah, right. Because No, because, I mean, the integrative doctor I was working with because he knew it's probably going to be a little longer process than Uh two weeks. (laughs) There's more
1: chapters in that book than the first chapter, right? And you grew up in Kansas, so was your your sister's herb shop in Kansas, basically? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there any lime in Kansas?
0: You know, I, not really I never was aware too much of Lyme until mm-hmm. I got more into integrative medicine you know um, yeah. I mean no in nursing of course I dealt with it as stuff as well you know people that that as a nurse you know I definitely heard more about it, heard about it but yeah. I yeah. think um, uh, it's not as endemic in Kansas believe it or not partly because I think um, you know, it's more wide open spaces. You know, yeah. and so there's an, and there's not as many trees and right, not right. as many deer. You know, um, I mean, it's definitely there, but it's more endemic on, especially on the east coast and on the coast.
1: Yeah, the wooded areas, yeah, with a lot of mm-hmm. trees, forests mm-hmm. and stuff. it's kind of hide in there. Exactly, deer. Are you know, Bambi or whoever's going in there with, hopefully Bambi's not getting infected by a tick, but um, and let's talk about how you started working at CAH, that was back in 2015
0: yeah, yeah. right, you know, so um, my first job, like I said, was in Virginia, and I live in Maryland you know, and so um, I met Dr. Wong at a conference (laughs) that we had together. It's a networking
1: networking networking dinner and networking dinner. And then
0: there was actually another doctor that was there as well. Um, Anyway, so um, I think just I just decided, you know, that this sounded like a good fit, you know, and. do one have to go keep up two different licenses and different things? And so, anyway, so that's when yeah. I decided just to sort of exciting. You're starting a whole new, like I was here at the beginning, starting a whole new clinic, you know. So, anyway, so it's been a very fun journey. We're so excited to yeah, right, been here. Yeah, and right, exactly. Are here, you know? so, so, it was, it was great. great. It was great just to uh, be able to have this transition. And at that time, too, I was also still working just down the street at a as a school nurse you know and stuff so when i started here more i was working part-time and i worked part-time at that job and then um and then after a year i thought no i'm just gonna just
1: work here <laughs> mm-hmm. did, so that
0: was convenient as well Yeah.
1: did you see anyone any kids with tick bites there oh yes have, oh yeah. yeah oh yeah
0: definitely definitely um, saw kids with ticks there and was, by that point, much more aware <laughs> mm-hmm. and so tried to really direct them in the, in, the, in the right direction, you know, if they did get a tick bite and watch them.
1: Yeah. So, Well, let's get into Lyme Okay. Let's talk about Lyme disease. What is Lyme disease and what causes it and, and how is it transmitted for the listeners? Yeah.
0: So basically, Lyme is just a bacterium that you can, that people can get from ticks. There are probably other vectors out there that you can also transmit them now, but we'll stick to ticks so we don't get frighten everybody. I mean but sometimes I think you know now there might be other vectors that also can transmit to humans, like maybe even some of the mosquitoes or some other maybe small, small mammals and stuff as well or uh, but basically, um, ticks are very resilient, you know this tick, a fully engorged tick, you know, that, um, a female, you know, that she can lay like 100 to 10,000 eggs at one time, a little larvae. And these little larvae then fall to the ground, you know, and um, then they sort of shelter and hide in the grass and then they find these smaller little vectors, like, you know, like white, uh, like a white-tailed mouse is known to really, Uh, be a nice vector for them in the early larval stage. And so then they uh, feed on, you know, they have to have always, they have to have some blood source to live. But they can live, unfortunately, 200, maybe to adult. an adult can live almost like 430 days without a blood source. So, I mean, even if they're not feeding, they can still live. So anyway, this little larvae then just feeds, you know, they have a blood source of, like on a small mammal, like a, like a white tail mouse or something. And then what they do is they um, molt into like a nymph. And, and these nymphs are still really very, very, very tiny. But these nymphs, then they look for larger sources, you know, uh, like a deer or a human. And so basically, when, with these vectors, they, how you get, not every tick has Lyme. So when they're feeding off some of these blood sources that have like a viral or bacterial infection or bloodborne pathogen like Lyme, then those ticks pick it up. And then when they bite somebody else, then they can affect, infect that person. Now the vectors themselves usually, don't have Lyme, you know, but um, if they do have some bloodborne pathogen, like the infection, like Lyme, in their system, then the ticks, unfortunately, can pass it on to other people.
1: So, and and how how common is Lyme? You know, we know that the CDC has certain data, but but my understanding is there's some underdiagnosis going on.
0: Yes, definitely. There's a lot of undiagnosed un, undiagnosed cases going going on, and. I think partly just even from an environmental standpoint, you know, as you know, we deforestation, you know, basically when we're building into trees and everything else, and so the animals are becoming more concentrated like deer and all this, and animals, you know, a lot of mammals are being displaced, you know, just especially in coastal areas or where there's heavily treed areas, you know, uh, Lyme is just becoming more prevalent, and and it is very underreported, and I will probably get into this too, you know, the difference between just getting bitten by a tick and getting Lyme and then chronic Lyme, and chronic Lyme is probably... One of the things that we'll probably talk about here in a few moments, you know, that really uh, Lyme can develop into a chronic issue. And that definitely is underreported and undiagnosed.
1: Yeah. So you said about habitat destruction, deforestation, crowding of, of, you know, the population. and, And then there's probably more... You know, human-animal interaction exactly. based on that. Exactly. Uh, would climate change be also playing a role? Well, I think in clima- this? yes.
0: I think okay. it could. You know, because that all ties together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like ticks probably like warm weather. Is that true, or the, do they like cold weather also?
0: Well, they're they're most uh, prevalent where in spring. Is Spring. That's okay. In yeah, spring and maybe early fall, I think. But spring for sure is where, mm-hmm. you know, with their life cycle. That but spring is often. Um, You know, and that's when people maybe go out more into the woods and stuff, too. But spring is where you see more often more tick bites. Got it. And some areas, I mean, you can just be infested, you know, with it. And, yeah, like when I was working at the school and they take hikes and they come back with tick bites, they go, ugh. You know.
1: Yeah, that's the problem with earthing, you know, like going out and barefoot yeah. on the grass. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. It's really good for the body, but yeah. then it's like, is there going to be a tick there or right. not? You know, the
0: One thing I tell patients now sometimes, you know, if you're going to go out on a hike, I mean, obviously there are some sprays that you can use. Uh, there's, you know, some heavy socks that you can put on. But maybe just having even a little tea tree oil in okay. your pocket. Okay. You know, because sometimes if you get a tick bite, if you notice it right away and you rub it with tea tree oil, I mean, it's not a 100% surefire thing. Mm-hmm. But it can possibly, um, you know, stop the the transmission. Yeah, neutralize the transmission. So mm-hmm. tea tree oil could be real good. Or sometimes even people say like alco- you know they have a little bit of alcohol,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, and stuff. I mean, obviously you have to pull the tick off, and that's a whole other subject, you know. But if you just feel like you got a tick that's not really latched on at at that point, and just rub it with some alcohol or some tea tree oil, and it's a whole, you know. Um, People used to say, okay, the ticks need to be on there for like 48, 24 to forty-eight hours before they can transmit Lyme, and that's just not true. You know, okay. you can it can be less than that and stuff. So that is sort of another myth that needs to be busted about Lyme mm-hmm. and Lyme transmission. Yeah.
1: So just going back to the question about the tea tree oil, is that a spray you can put on, or is something you can use for prevention? Yeah, prevention. Well? Yeah,
0: prevention. They're, you tea tree oil usually comes as a liquid. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so just um, you know, obviously, if you have any cotton ball or anything, uh, your handkerchief or whatever, you know, just put some of the tea tree oil on it rub it over that spot.
1: Yeah, on any skin that's exposed, like if people were wearing oh, shorts or Oh, maybe as t-shirts. a prevention.
0: I don't know if you could just put it all over. There's some other sprays. There is a, um, there's some natural sprays that you can use. I... Have to remember the name of that, you know, but there are some natural sprays that you can use then. There's also permethrin sprays, okay. you know, that you can use as a prevention.
1: That, that, that ticks would be less likely to jump exactly. aboard because they can exactly, smell that yeah. the Prometh- chemicals yeah. and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. got it. Okay. And then, like you said, this 24 to 48 hours of having to tick on the skin mm-hmm. before getting infected is a myth. Can yeah. You talk more about that and kind of get into acute Lyme first. Then yeah. Chronic yeah.
0: The good thing is, I mean, so, I mean, what you have to say, a lot of patients do say, well, I just was on for a short amount of time. Well, and we have seen cases, you know, with Lyme, I mean, especially a lot of doctors that treat Lyme, uh, that the tick does not need to be on there for, you know, even this less than 24 hours, you know, it still can transmit. Um, and so it is really important to get early treatment. So if you get a tick bite, you know, you do need to let your practitioner know, I mean, obviously you need to remove the tick. I mean, there are different ways to remove the tick. I mean, obviously you can take a tweezers and be sure you grab it by the head, you know, um, not the tail, you know, or anything like that. So you can really pull it out. A lot of people are really concerned because you know, even after they pull it out and they truly have gotten it out, there's just a little hard spot and a little red dot right there. And that's because they inject almost what they, when they're feeding, they inject almost this like cement-like liquid that you know that you will have a really tiny little spot that feels hard and that's normal okay you know um, because that's just because what they inject it becomes really hard Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it increases your chance of getting it but that will be there Um, so several things to do here is Save the tick, you know, because you can get it tested for Lyme. And so there's Clonjan Labs, is one, mm-hmm. and there's other labs. But that's in, locally in Gaithersburg. But that's locally yeah. in Gaithersburg. Clonjan Labs okay. is locally in Gaithersburg that you can send the ticks Great. for testing. I mean, I mean, you, like if you just test for um, just the regular Borrelia burgdorferi, I think that's just one price, or maybe even that one's free, you know. But there's, and then if you want to test for a lot of different types of Lyme, then it gets a little bit more expensive, you know, but it is really a good thing to uh, just send them in because it is um, like the Lone Star tick um, that usually doesn't, you know, uh, spread Lyme, you know, it's the black leg ticks that really spread Lyme. So even having just another expert look at it can really be helpful, you Mm -hmm. know, and can help determine treatment as well.
1: And there's also a difference between the, the traditional lime tick, which is the Borrelia burguriphy, and the I think the brown, uh, the Lone Star tick is brown, I believe, correct? It
0: could be. I'm it not could my, be, okay. Yeah, but
1: yeah. this idea that I know the Lone Star tick can actually cause this alpha-gal allergy to red meat.
0: Oh, really? You know, there's yeah. this
1: issue with, with um, sometimes people get bitten by the Lone Star tick and they get a red, red meat allergy. All right. So, so that would hmm. be an interesting. Yeah, that would be an interesting to follow up. Yeah. But yeah, if, if people can go to Clonchin, that's a good. That's yeah, a good yeah, just that's
0: to get it. That's a that's a very good point. Although well, it's
1: probably not free. They, yeah, They yeah. probably won't offer free. Yeah, testing. that's
0: yeah. a that's a that's a good thing to remember. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah sure. And so so I think some another thing that I just want to mention here too is that a lot of people think oh you have to have this bullseye rash, you know, and. Um, most people, maybe only 50% of the people get like a, a bullseye rash or even less than that. So even if you don't get a bullseye rash, it doesn't mean that you have not been infected with Lyme. And just remember that bullseye rash doesn't have to be over the site of where you got the bite. It can be at different places, you know. Huh. It, does, it doesn't necessarily have yeah. to be right at the site where you got the bite. So it is something to look for, uh, but it's not necessarily definitive.
1: Yeah. I think that, Marnie, you really hit the nail on the bullseye, so to speak, on <laughs> <with> that bullseye <laughs> rash. We know about, um, you know, integrative medicine often deals with shades of gray. Yes. You know, yeah. like in, in traditional medicine, it's like black and white, did you get a tick bite or not? Okay, well, if you didn't, if you don't remember it, you don't have Lyme. Right. But that's not necessarily true because, A, people's memory, that could be questionable. Right. It could be that the tick was on there and then it fell off, but then the bite happened before. Right. You know, so there's many things that can happen.
0: Exactly, and one of the, uh, really, in reference to that, one of the most important things with that is the nymphs are one of the most infective, you know. I mean, the adults can infect you as well, but nymphs are so, so tiny. Hard to see. They're so hard to see Mm. that you might not even know that you got in bed, and and if it, you know, so that you might have gone to share, might have fallen off on its own, you know, but that, they are so tiny, that sometimes you don't see them and you don't notice them.
1: What are some other typical symptoms besides a rash, um, mm-hmm. what are symptoms of, of acute Lyme if someone's kind of wondering if they should go see their practitioner?
0: Right. I tell all my patients, if you have a tick bite, just call me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: But still, for an acute Lyme, for an acute bite, um, like sometimes, um, like kids, I've had, uh, this is a good example of a kid that goes to camp, you know, and gets a tick bite. And sometimes ticks, one of the things that they can just really transmit – even apart from the regular Borrelia burgdorferi, is Anaplasma. And with Anaplasma, you know, what they, they do is that you can get a fever, you can get a pretty high fever, and you can um, probably get some muscle aches and pains and stuff as well. But again, just to, uh, like with Anaplasma, usually all you have to do is to literally treat two weeks with the doxycycline and that will resolve that Anaplasma. And so, um, I that's just one example I think about off the top but again just in general you know just even with a Lyme you know you can develop knee pain you know and that is one of the really the classic signs you know even with acute uh, you know like joint pain headache you may have a may or may not have a little fever but you just make malaise uh, not feeling good um, but joint pain and joint pain is definitely um, obviously in some cases but not a lot, you know. You can get really swelling, you know, on the knee, and so then you can aspirate that. I can be aspirate that to to see too if there's any um, Lyme there. But basically, for acute, you need just need to watch for joint pain, uh, malaise, just not feeling good. Uh, watch for the rash, for the bullseye rash. Um, Um, those are can be some
1: acute markers it sounds like joint pain is a possible differentiator like other 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 symptoms sound almost like flu-like symptoms yes right although you don't have to have joint pain right? you don't have to necessarily have joint
0: pain especially initially you know especially when we get talking more into the chronic issue right you know but those are some of the acute symptoms and really if you catch it in the acute symptoms and you don't have any other underlying, you know, immune issues, then often just treating with doxycycline for a month. I usually still treat for a month. There's been some theories that doctors have purpose, oh, just do a two days of doxycycline. I go, no, we need to do, you know, probably minimum two weeks, usually a month, just to be sure that it gets covered because we do not want this to get into chronic Lyme
1: right right and let's actually go into that rabbit hole of chronic Lyme yeah. now
0: <laughs> right and
1: I go go like Alice in Wonderland down that rabbit hole what are some of the potential chronic symptoms of Lyme and and you know this is also a controversial topic in some ways yes in terms of you know some some practitioners some societies don't really believe in chronic Lyme right even. right so let's right. just talk about chronic Lyme
0: right I will tell you at this point in my life, I definitely believe in chronic Lyme.
1: There's something going on. There's something going on. I mean, yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: I have had patients that, you know, that have been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, or with chronic fatigue, uh, fibromyalgia, you know, and some joint pain, but just brain fog. They just don't feel right, you know. And, you know, doing a uh, history is really important. I said, well, when did this all start? And sometimes it is very interesting how there was, I was just fine up to this point. All right, well, what were you doing at this point? Doing a really comprehensive history, Did you uh, do you hike? Do you have a dog? Where were you living? Um, and. Um, you know, was there a point where this really started? And often when you do a really good history, you find it was after this time, and well, yeah, you know I was hiking at that time. Some of them say, oh, you know, maybe I got a tick bite, but I didn't notice anything, so I didn't do anything, you know, or a lot of times they have no idea. But then, uh, like what we do here in integrative health, what we do is we do more in-depth testing, and sometimes these people then have just lit up with their their Western blots have been positive, or we do some um, testing more for comorbidities. I mean, not comorbidities, but other Lyme doesn't only just give you Lyme. There's other things that
1: co-infections, co-infections, co-infections.
0: exactly like Bartonella, okay. Babesia, and I can we can talk about some of the differential yeah, differentials yeah. with that Absolutely. as well. But you know, and some of these patients then are just so relieved just to have a diagnosis, you know. Some of them, um, I have a patient recently that has been to just special neurologists and in um, pain management doctors in New York and all these specialists, you know, and so I wasn't sure either what was going on with her, but then just did some Lyme testing and it has just lit up, you know, so there's a lot of people that come in here with just chronic, The things that I already mentioned, like chronic fatigue, joint pain, fibromyalgia, just not feeling good for years and then when we work them up for Lyme it really is positive. You know, POTS is, you know, a lot of times if you have POTS, a lot of people have POTS syndrome and POTS syndrome is really associated with Lyme, you know, and so they've been treated for POTS but they're still not getting better, you know, so.
1: What is the root cause? I mean, yeah. That's what what you're is the root cause exactly? Of, like an archaeologist digging in there, <laughs> yeah, right, right? Exactly, you know? right. A lot of these autoimmune diseases, pots, Hashimoto's. Yes. Some of these things can actually be caused by Lyme. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: absolutely. And I think in traditional medicine, you know, we don't necessarily do a great job of being archaeologists. We're almost like if something's on the surface and it's not there, then it could it can't be there anymore. Exactly. But we know that Lyme is really a stealth infection. Yes. It hides, it hides in the cell, right?
0: Exactly. It does, especially, I mean, like we can, speaking of one of the co-infections like babesia. Yeah. Babesia can be an intracellular. There's different, lots of times that there's a lot of different types of babesia, but one type can be an intracellular, so then it can cause anemia, and can cause like low uh, hemoglobin hematocrit, and cause anemia, and so that can be one sign, too, that you have to watch for, so again, just digging deeper, you know, and again, the history, so important, so. Are
1: are you a fan of science fiction at all, Marta? Uh,
0: It's a little, some of it.
1: Well, I mentioned that because it's kind of like Lyme is like a shapeshifter, like (laughs) creatures that are... Can right. you talk about, kind of outline for the audience, the different types of Lyme? You know there there's different types right. of Right.
0: And one of the questions when, I, when, um, when people come to me is I really do ask them some other questions. And so, so, you know, like general Lyme will be some of the symptoms that we have talked about. Then I sort of differentiate. um, Bartonella and Babesia are two real common co-infections. And so with Babesia, again, what I look at, you obviously look at your RBC, the CBC indices and um, iron levels, you know, just to be sure there's no anemia and stuff there. But one thing too, because some forms of Babesia can be an intracellular parasite sometimes, uh, what is exhibited with people that have Babesia is shortness of breath. They just I, I, I ask them Do you just have to take a deep? sign respiration intermittently and often often they'll say yes, so that's another sign of Babesia, you know is just the shortness of breath um, sometimes they can have um, Like pain sort of on the bottom of their feet. I think that can probably be a little bit with Bartonella just even on as as well um, headache, you know um, Emotionally uh, labile, you know, mm-hmm. just you know, mood, mood
1: issues, you with, know, with Bartonella.
0: It was probably more with maybe more babesia. Babesia, okay. Uh, yeah, but but another big thing with babesia is sweats. Do you have just sweats, not just night sweats, but you can have sweats and chills and fever with babesia. So that is one thing. You know, the shortness of breath, the the uh, then sweats chills and fever and headache you know and of course the anemia and the sign respirations then moving to Bartonella Bartonella is hard <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Bartonella is tough because Bartonella can often do more neurological symptoms you feeling of like bugs crawling on your skin, you know, um, neurological pain, like, you know, like in your face, you know, neurological pain, just sort of a pain along a nerve line, you know, um, and a lot of paresthesias, you know, as that also go along with Bartonella, and just really migratory joint pains, and, and now, there is a Bartonella rash, you know, a real stri ray rash. So it's sort of like a stretch mark rash, and that is for a very um, that's a pretty much a clinical sign. I mean you can have stretch marks for other reasons, but very distinct stretch mark like rash that's some kinds can be vertical but actually more horizontal as well Okay. and that's another thing that you can look for with Bartonella but it's a a lot of the neurological symptoms the paresthesias nerve pain that um, is really sometimes really hard to deal with you know and stuff like that that's a more of a sign of like sometimes they also describe sort of an internal vibratory feeling and just kind of these strange symptoms that yeah. mm-hmm. are hard to explain from yeah. traditional Yeah, and diagnosis, that can yeah. often be more Bartonella. So I ask the patients these questions because, I mean, obviously we can do more testing to ferret out, whether it's more Babesia or Bartonella, but these symptoms can also help clarify.
1: So, I mean, in a way, finding these kind of infections or co-infections is kind of like finding a needle in a haystack. Exactly. Yeah.
0: exactly. How do
1: we test or how do we find you know how do I how do we identify Lyme?
0: Right yeah. now here at CIH, we have some specialized testing that we can do. Um, so basically uh, there are some just some lab tests that I do. I do the Western blot. There's um, antibody tests that we can just do through LabCorp. But then what we do is we do some specialized testing too. We've Uh, often used and still continue to use Igenics labs, which is a little bit more, they add um, an extra band, sometimes two, I think maybe one or two extra bands that they do for their Western blots, and they can do some, They do some DNA testing as well for like Babesia and Bartonella that we can do. So they are a very well-respected lab that uh, that we use here that can give us a more differential diagnosis. And then what we've also been using here more lately is Vibrant Mycotoxin uh, Labs. And what I really like about them is they do a whole panel of co-infections. And having recently gone to ILADS, you know, ILADS is the International Lyme and Lyme-Associated Disease Conference. Um, a lot of, really, Lyme experts are using, they use both Igenix and uh, this Vibrant Labs, you know, and so there's just more testing always being developed. Um, but this Vibrant Mycotoxin, uh, co-in- uh, the co-infection one, can really be helpful in Um, looking, because it tests for about, I don't know, four or five different types of Bartonella, Babesia, Anaplasma, and then they do also some RNA testing as well.
1: Okay, good. Uh, Well, a lot of tests that are out there, some of these more functional tests, I think it's really important to know that for the listeners that those tests are out there. There's practitioners that can order them because if someone's struggling with, you know, months or years of chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or joint pain, headaches, whatever it is, and there could be Lyme or co-infections, Having a negative lab core or sort of a more traditional lab test right. may or may not rule out Lyme. How accurate is that lab right. core test?
0: Oh, I agree exactly with what you said because I've done a Western blot. Oh, there might be one band or two. You know, I think. Oh, I don't know. But when I go through all my questions and the symptom, the symptoms, I think. I don't know. We need to test you further. And I've had people that the Western blot has been even pretty negative, and then some of the specialized testing just lights up. Yeah. So it is really important, yeah, and, and worthwhile to um, to do some of the specialized testing.
1: Mm-hmm. They're more precise. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes, exactly. So we talked about Babesia, Bartonella, Anaplasma. Um, we talked about lyme a bit, acute and chronic. Let's kind of get into, for listeners, um, things that we might want to, consider in terms of treatment steps okay. and sort of, uh, where do we go from here? We have a diagnosis yeah, of Lyme now and, you know, someone's actually yeah. getting some light maybe at the end of the tunnel. How, how do they kind of move through that to, uh, to get to the other side?
0: And let the fun begin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Exactly.
0: It is, um, you know, I approach everybody individually, you know, um, Definitely here, what I use, and I think all the practitioners here use, we do a combination of antibiotics and herbals, uh, herbal supplements. Um, There's uh, several good companies that, like Nutramedics, has a lot of good herbal products. Um, Byron White uh, products, we use a lot of those. Um, There's some other companies that I'm investigating a little bit more, you know, for herbal products. Um, there And so it's usually a combination, you know. Sometimes too, I think before we get into Lyme treatment per se, I think something that I think CIH does really well is that um, we look at the whole person as well? Maybe even before we do Lyme treatment, we need to look at their GI status. We need to look at their detox pathways. How are they detoxing? You know, because if I start somebody, or if we start somebody on antibiotics, you know, but they're uh, detox pathways aren't open or they just have um, their GI system isn't working properly then all the things I throw at them may not be as effective you know and so and and this is really interesting too um, I've been going to ILADS the uh, conferences for quite a few years you know and um Oh, and four or five years ago, you know, it was all about, all right, what's this new antibiotic? What can we do? This new antibiotic and how we can do that and how, you know, and breaking, how can we give even <clears throat> some things that break up cysts, like natokinase or cyst busters, you know, so that even the antibiotics can be more effective. And so one year it was all about that, you know, cyst to help the antibiotics be more effective. In the last couple years, it's been very interesting where the more the tone has been and even the uh, the title of one lecture was "It Ain't Just One Thing," you know. And so I think even the very uh, people that treat Lyme that are really Lyme literate doctors are seeing it's not just treating Lyme; it's treating the whole person. And I think that's one thing that we do well here. And so that um, that's probably where I start is asking, you know, what is the GI status? You know, are they having do they have SIBO? Do you know? Are you constantly constipated or something like that? So we need, or, or there may be mold or something, um, or heavy metals that we need to maybe detox first, so that the treatment with lime can be the most effective.
1: It ain't only one thing. It, it sounds ain't like, right, yeah. right.
0: It ain't only one thing is right. <laughs> I
1: love that shift in perspective, slight shift in perspective in my lads from I think just more of a bug-based versus like right. yeah, we have to treat the bugs but also nourish and strengthen a terrain. It exactly. Like, right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So then getting into actually treating lime after we've, you know, done some of the preliminary work. Um, You know it it depends a little bit on the person some people really don't want to do antibiotics you know doxycycline is really effective um for acute Lyme but not so effective for chronic Lyme sometimes I start there anyway at the very beginning so I just know I've covered all my bases you know Um, there's other um Obviously, I don't want to talk too much about specific treatment here because everything is very individual.
1: This is not a treatment podcast. This is yes. not a treatment podcast.
0: <laughs> but yes. um, there is one um, naturopathic doctor that I have read about, you know, and so she starts somebody that's maybe come in that I suspect has chronic Lyme and's had it for a long time. Sometimes, You know, you start on on a drug maybe like Tindamax, which actually is an anti-parasitical drug, but it also is a cyst buster, you know, and stuff. So, you know, you want to get, I mean, again, we think that ticks are very strong and have a strong (laughs) on the outside. But, you know, they, what they, when in chronic line, they burrow in, in your system. They hide in your cells, you know, and they do, You know, put these little protective walls around them. You know, and so so sometimes we need to like if we use a drug, an antibiotic or an antiparasitical like Tindamax, that can push them out. And then you might give them Zithromax after that because okay, we're going to push them out, and then we're going to try and zap them. You know, but it's always important. Uh, One thing that I always do: you always need to know do at least two therapies. At one time whether it is you know like an antibiotic along with a, a um, an a herbal supplement of some kind like I use AL a lot AL has been known to be advertised as doxycycline in a bottle you know um, you know because it treats AL stands for anti-Lyme it's a Byron White formula um, but because it just treats the gamut of a lot of different things, and so, but it's I think it's really important to do a combination of a, of an antibiotic or a herbal um, a supplement that targets Lyme in some way. If
1: someone doesn't want antibiotics, then you could combine herbs. Yeah, you could that... combine herbs as okay. well.
0: You can definitely you can if people does not want if if people do not want to do any antibiotics, mm-hmm. uh, then there's definitely some herbal supplements that I can start with as well.
1: There's multiple hiking pathways to get to the final exactly. The same destination. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. Okay. They're
0: absolutely. And, and um, some people just really, um, you know, it's interesting. I had a patient one time that um, had, before she came here, she had Lyme so bad that she was wheelchair bound.
1: Wow.
0: You know, and then what she did something called the Cowden Protocol. And the Cowden Protocol, is like um, a bunch, it's like a Nutramedics, you know, and so they, you're on it for about nine months, and one day you take a little bit of this, this mixture of this tincture, then the next day you take a this tincture, and the next day you take this tincture, and uh, so for some people that I have treated with, um, you know, antibiotics, different things, sometimes I just, you know, and if it, it has to be the right patient, has to be the right situation, uh, but sometimes just going on a long-term herbal treatment has been effective. You know, this patient that was wheelchair-bound had done the Cowden protocol, and although she still had some uh, Lyme symptoms, but she's not (laughs) wheelchair-bound anymore.
1: Yes, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing, Marna. And I know, you know, we we know here at SAGE that, you know, the treatment of Lyme, like any chronic disease, also rests on the, the pillars, the foundations of health like nutrition, lifestyle, stress management. How does that kind of play a role with Lyme patients, and what kind of Rex, yeah. uh, you know, what'd you recommend there? Yeah.
0: One thing, you know, I mean, I think with, when you talk about those pillars, you know, stress management is so important. Nutrition is so important. Ticks and Lyme love sugar. Okay. They love sugar and they love, al- you know, what's in, you know, so you need to watch your sugar, you need to watch your alcohol, because there's a lot of sugar in alcohol, so limiting sugar and alcohol is really important, and, uh, and stress, such a big factor, um, so important to deal with underlying causes of emotional issues. You know, I think some people, especially with my original physician that I worked with that taught me a lot about Lyme, he said, some people don't get better because they haven't dealt with the underlying emotional issues. Mm-hmm. And when you deal with some of the underlying emotional issues, uh, then you begin to heal.
1: So the immune system, in a way, is affected by the emotional Absolutely. balance? Absolutely, okay. yeah. Yeah. That's That's a great... Point. That's you, a really great point. It's really mind, body, spirit. It is really mind, body, spirit because you yeah. know if
0: you're, if you're really stressed, that stresses your immune system and that pulls it down. You know, and um, so it's really important to deal with with stress because it does affect your immune. Your it, immune. It, it
1: almost sounds like the immune um, system is getting bogged down exactly. by this emotional bandwidth that's getting taken up by immune right. by emotional imbalances, I mean, yeah. and it can't fight the ticks as well and things yeah. like that.
0: Yeah, very well said, very good. How about
1: sleep, any any issues there? Oh yeah, uh, it's that, sleep, uh, of
0: course, I mean, again, I think that's one of the pillars of health, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, sleep is very important, you know, um, and for all of our health, you know, health, very important for our, our, our brain health, you know, and uh, to be able to think clearly, um, and just, we all need sleep just to, for restorative sleep, you know, S- so sometimes maybe even doing a sleep study, you know, um, but just purposely trying to, uh, you know, we have whole podcasts, I won't go into it, I'm sure there's whole podcasts that we do, and we have excellent classes just on sleep hygiene of things that you can do, you know, to uh, get enough sunlight uh, during the day so you sleep better, you know, especially early morning, you know, and basically to go to bed at a regular time, but sleep is, is very important. A little caveat here, uh, too, with exercise. Uh, exercise is really important as well. But when somebody is um, very fatigued to begin with, and they might start to get better, people want to go, OK, I'm just going to really push through with exercise. Um, you can't, when, like when you're doing some Lyme treatment, you, you know, I sort of... Um, Tell them not to exercise You know, you need some exercise for that circulation, circulatory system to just wake you up, keep you going, and it's so good for your mental health. But isn't the time to take on maybe a whole new heavy lifting gym routine? Okay,
1: all right, no, no marathons <laughs> no or marathons. something like that. So no, me- medium to talk dose. To me for all right, a <laughs> so a medium dose of an exercise prescription. It yeah. sounds like would be really great. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: And yeah, I think I have to ask this question because, as you know, I'm really into brain health. Yeah, does Lyme affect the brain? Can it cause like brain fog? Oh, absolutely.
0: Like it's one. That's one of the one of the big signs of Lyme is brain fog, and um, some of the antibiotics cross probably the blood brain barrier. Others may not. Um, but there's uh, things that uh, there's actually some. There's actually. Um, a tincture that I give, you okay. know, just to help with brain fog. W- with that. Yeah, and, so and I'm, lime- not, I'm not going to mention, well, this is yeah. not a training session. Right, here, but, right. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I'm not going to talk too much about products, but there's definitely things that I give just to help with brain
1: fog. Because Lyme can infect the brain. Oh yes, correct? it definitely okay, can. can cross yeah. the blood-brain barrier.
0: Yes, yes, unfortunately.
1: Well, if you have Lyme, you live in the area locally, <laughs> go see Marna. Marna's <laughs> Lyme expert here at CIH. We're so grateful for your words of wisdom here on really treating all pillars of health yes. and looking at the entire terrain while mm-hmm. also dealing with uh, the microbe that, that someone might have, like yes. Lyme or co-infection. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, Marna.
0: Oh, no, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yes.
1: And we are actually uh, still on for some closing questions that we do like to ha- ask all of our guests. So if you don't mind, okay. we have um, a question about um, morning routine. So is that something that you do? Uh, morning routines are really good for health, and we're just wondering if you have a morning routine.
0: Okay, morning routine. Ha, huh. Yes, I do try, and I get up every morning. <laughs> I mean, I think coming in, I have a commute, so sometimes even I try, and I don't do this routinely as much as I should, sometimes even singing in the car. Sometimes I have this uh, prayer that I just use that's a rote prayer that I can just do, Every day, you know, and so that is something that I do to try and help focus, you know, say, okay, help me focus, help me get through this day. But it's a it's a specific one that I use. And so that is something that I uh, try and do uh, sort of more in my car as I come in.
1: And of course, you know that singing to songs is a, a great way to stimulate the vagus nerve. I know, I know. So that's why I need to do that
0: one more. It helps wake you up as well. That's a really good one that I need to do more of.
1: And and lastly, you know, we know that if if all of people's Lyme symptoms are "quote unquote" solved and they're you know symptoms, but but they don't have joy, we know that this is like a big factor right, in health. So right. kind of, what do you do to cultivate joy in your own life?
0: Right. I think for me, I mean, um, I I really walking. I love to walk. You know. I mean I think that really clears my head a lot you know that's probably the exercise I like is more than anything I also like to bike you know and then I think the really importance of interpersonal relationships and I really try and uh, keep up with you know family and friends and just it's very important for everybody to have a support system I mean obviously uh, we can have therapy which is Often really needed, particularly yeah. with chronic Lyme, when they've been when individuals have been dealing with that. But even just to to be um, purposeful in developing, you know, a support system and uh, uh, have positive relationships around you.
1: Yeah, deep positive relationships, connection. Exactly. That's really key to life. Right? Exactly. You know, like, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and faith. You need to have faith. You know yeah. that there is uh, somebody watching out for you.
1: Yeah, that's okay. great. And um, we should actually, I think we should definitely talk about basketball as well. I know that's another favorite <laughs> for your exercise.
0: Yes. Keeping
1: up with the teenagers, right? Right, right, here, yeah.
0: right. And Rock Chalk KU, my that's team, right. Right. won the National NCAA Tournament this year. Well, congrats <laughs> to Marna
1: and the Jayhawks this year, 2022. Thank you so much, Marna, for coming on today. Yeah.
0: Right, yeah, I do. I And that is one thing I do for exercise. I love it. I go to a... Um, a great school um, near me that has a basketball uh, court I mean you know not in session I can't do it all the time but I love to just go play basketball because I like that better than running because you know you sure don't make the shots all the time so you have to run back and catch your own you get exercise that way and yeah. you use different muscles with shooting and stuff so I love to go shoot baskets
1: well yeah. if you don't make it the first time just keep shooting right. the ball right I know That's I kind of have my thing. sweet
0: spot I would like to just do it so awesome. it's, all it's, right. it's great <laughs> well
1: thank you so much again Marta, for coming on great to see you here
0: alright thank you thank you
1: Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.